This episode is brought to you by the Lay Down G, a hair frizz reduction product you can learn more about at illfreezerealms.com and also on Facebook and Instagram at illfreezerealms, and that's realms with a Z. This is a small city. Just north of the big city. Built on brickyards, factories, and small businesses. With a rich history and strong roots. And this is a podcast. That serves to tell our story. Share our experience. And celebrate our community. This. This. Is Beacon. Remember Action Park? Well, for those who do, this will be a trip down memory lane. For those of you who don't, welcome to what was once America's scariest little water park. On this episode, director Seth Porges joins the team to discuss his documentary film, Class Action Park, now streaming on HBO Max. The team dives in to understand Seth's journey to making the film, his passion behind the project, and all the fascinating tales and facts behind the park. Without further ado, this is Seth. Well, welcome back, everybody, to This is Beacon. This is Brooke. This is Ruben. This is Brandon. This is Brianna. And today we have a super fun guest. Um, I'm super excited about this conversation, but guests, we're going to let you introduce yourself to everybody who you are. Hey, my name is uh, Seth, and I'm, I'm a Beacon resident, and I'm also a film director. I made the movie Class Action Park that's on HBO Max right now. There's our audience. <laughs> wow. um, so, so- <laughs> oh, air horns. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be a super fun episode for us to really dive into all things that you do. But first, let's learn a little bit about who you are. So tell us a little bit about your background, your family life, where you're from. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the D.C. area and lived in New York for many years before coming up the Beacon. I've been here since 2016, which will never nobody's ever going to call me old Beacon, but uh, I'm not the newest Beacon. There's newer Beacon, right? Like, like there's newer Beacon. Uh, but I'm not old Beacon. Um, and, and Beacon's home. Beacon rules. Beacon's the best. And it's it's you know what, what's there not to love about Beacon? Mm, and tell us, you know, what was that journey like? How did you land on Beacon? Yeah, you know, living in the city, I think like so many people, you just start to. You, you wake up one day and you're like, it's been six months since I've seen a, a, a patch of grass larger than McCarran Park or something, right? Or uh, like, what's a tree? What's a hiking trail? What's it like to like walk out the door and not smell soot? You know, like all these realizations begin to dawn on you. And I was just spending more and more time just kind of coming up to this area to go hiking. And, and really, that's kind of what drew me up here was just the outdoors and access to the outdoors. Yeah. And so when you when you made that transition, were you like just like as long as I'm in the Hudson Valley or did you really hone in on Beacon? Well, I, you know, Beacon, I knew specifically I, I it was, you know, I was open to other places, but I, I was familiar with Beacon. I had been to Beacon numerous times. And for me, it was all about a place that felt like, you know, a small community that also had access to outdoors. And what makes Beacon special, as I'm sure like everybody listening to this knows, is it's really one of the surprisingly few cities or towns up here where you can just kind of like walk from Main Street to a hiking trail, like name five others, like, okay, Cold Spring, right? But like, what else, right? That, that you can actually do that. I think people have this idea of the Hudson Valley as this uh, place of all these expansive outdoor spaces, that certainly is. So most of them are not connected to the community like they are to Beacon. They require you to get into a car and drive. And to me, the fantasy was always like walk out my door and be at a hiking trail 10 minutes. And that's what Beacon really does. Mm, yeah, I yeah. can agree with you more. Yeah. Yeah, so now I'm going to ask you, because I'm, I'm the kind of person that people are like, oh, you live in that amazing place, you get to hike everywhere. And I'm like, you know, they'll th- spit out like this trail, that trail, and I'm like, I think I've been there once. So what are your trails when people are like, oh, I'm going to come up there? Like, what are your favorites? Yeah, you know, I it depends if like how much hill I've got in me, you know, like if I'm if I'm taking it easy, I'll just do Madame Brett. Um, I've got like four different ways I can do Madame Brett, depending on how much time I've got. You've got all these different like cutoffs, like oh, we're just going to go down to the boardwalk and then like turn this way. We're going to do the long loop. Or we're going to turn at the water treatment plant or whatever it might be. Um, but I just love that as like a I'm not going to exert myself, just going to like kind of walk and think and listen to an audio book or a podcast and and just kind of get that 
creative juice going kind of kind of hike and then if i'm doing you know a little bit more exertion i'll go up to uh in the pocket road up the fishkill ridge typically i guess from there you can reach everything and it's i like it more than the mount beacon trailhead i think it's a little bit more bucolic uh less crowded for sure a little bit more interesting and it all connects so once you're up there once you're like at the access road you can you know pick your poison and you go to the reservoir you're going to go up to lamb's hill you're going to go up the bald hill you're going to do whatever what are you going to do right and so i just love how you can reach these peaks and it can be never the same way twice it's just these, these countless forking branches that really make what what isn't the largest number of hiking trails so endlessly interesting as a hiker yeah, especially when you think about throughout the seasons, I find I'm more of like a Denning's Point kind of girl, yeah. you know? Yeah, so the, you're with me with the like easy, high yeah. resting, not too strenuous. Um, so and, yeah. And when you go like down to Denning's Point, Madame Brett, you're, you know, you're down by like these migratory bird heavy wetland areas. And it's just super exciting how like one week you'll have this big flock of birds, right? And the next week, a totally different species of birds will be there. And it's just really amazing just like the sea, like, holy crap, there's like 20 white egrets right there. And then it's like, I don't even know what that bird is, but it's really cool and it makes really cool noise. And then the next week it's something different. And that's just really exciting because these trails, like they're they're never the same as the seasons change. The flowers, the foliage, uh, the wildlife, it's just like constantly in transition. You know, it'd be like one week when it's like, man, I'm like swimming through a, a sea of like flies and moths for some reason. And then another one, you guys know what I'm talking about. And another that's one. That's what I was thinking yeah. of when you said that. I was like, oh yeah, the... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like there was like three days of the year where it's like, you know, I feel like I need to be in a bee suit to go hiking, right? And and then and then you've got the one, you know, this time of year where you have these endless views because the leaves are all barren. And, you know, winter is one of the best times for hiking in this area as long as you can avoid some ice uh, because the views are just so amazing and, and it's so not crowded also. Hmm. Totally. Well, you may have already answered this by your last question, but, um, you know, when you're not working, when you have time to yourself, besides hiking, what else do you like to do for fun? You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy who loves like stupid bar games. So give me your pinball, give me your trivia, give me your karaoke. And I, I'm a happy man. Like, I mean, honestly, like those three things probably eat up 80% of my uh, out of the house free time other than hiking. Well, then, then it's probably not a surprise of why I bumped into you at uh, Max's on Main, huh? Yeah, you know, Max's rules. Love Max's. And Max's is the kind of place that, like, you know, it, it, we shouldn't, like, a, a bar like that shouldn't have food that, that, that's that good. It's a thing. Like, it just shouldn't, but it does. <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's, it's always great when you find, like, all right, it's a bar that has good food but still feels like a bar. Like, that's the, that's the best, right? Yeah, and, and, and they run all those nights. They have, like, karaoke night. They yeah. have trivia night. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's, like, so. always something. I mean, they, they still have ladies' night. I think that's, like, one of the last places in the country that has a ladies' <laughs> night. <laughs> I think they still have that. Yeah, they definitely do. They just started it back up, actually. Yeah. Good, good, good. Just making sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so super excited to dive into just really, like, pick your brain, not only about what you do, but definitely the documentary um but you know tell us a little bit about your experience in film like how did you get involved were you always in no 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 i'm i'm an outsider to the film industry to the entertainment industry i was a magazine editor and, and a journalist uh so i was an editor at popular mechanics magazine for a number of years at maxim magazine weirdly i was a columnist for bloomberg business week and i was like a, i was a technology journalist primarily some science stuff too but like science and technology and um, I was always doing like a little bit of TV, but kind of on air stuff. Like when I worked at magazines, they'd throw me on uh, a morning show or on the news to talk about something going on related to science or technology, typically like, oh, NASA just did this rocket launch. I'll talk about it like that kind of stuff um, mm -hmm. or holiday seasons here. Seth will come out with like 20 gifts to just kind of like talk about real nonsense um but i got a sense of kind of how the how the gears moved in that world right and uh started kind of thinking a little bit more analytically about like what what does it take to actually produce tv what does it take to kind of like make something happen here and um you know slowly that kind of work shifted from news and stuff which which is really disposable like once something airs on the news it's never seen again unless you totally embarrass yourself like, if, as long as you don't embarrass yourself, news disappears, right? Um, and I started doing stuff on kind of like History Channel and that Geo, Discovery. And the thing about those shows, even if it's just like something I show up and I tape for like one hour, they just keep airing that stuff again and again and again and again. So I would do shows that would be like, 
101 gadgets that changed the world on the history channel and i mean i take that thing like 2011 i swear next 10 years i get like people messaging me being like i'm at a hotel and you're on my tv and i'm pretty sure those types of programs literally only exist on hotel televisions <laughs> like um so i was always on the shows that that literally nobody watches except when they're in a hotel and like flipping through basic cable it's uh, like that and like the crime yeah. shows that yeah. come out yeah. just yeah. for the hotels yep yeah so i was on the, that, those kind of shows so a bunch of like just kind of just like oh what am i doing here the, the show i people the only one anybody would ever like know me from is i was on uh around 50 episodes of a show on the travel channel called mysteries of the museum uh which was just kind of like telling these stories from history and then they have like reenactments going film with them but i was really kind of just getting a sense about how all of this stuff works and uh and then you know 2013 ish um some, with some friends of mine, uh, I, I took the story of Action Park. We made, I don't even want to call it a documentary, like a web short, like a web video. And it ended up going kind of viral, uh, like stupidly viral. And I, a lot of people kind of realized that there was this interest in this topic of Action mm-hmm. Park, this, mm-hmm. this wild and zany amusement park. And uh, Johnny Knoxville apparently saw it and made a movie inspired by it called Action Point. Yeah. Uh, it did not do very well, but it was inspired by the short. And... And I was, you know, I was like, man, this, this is, this is something I should run with this story. Like, what, what can I do with this here? And I tried pitching it out to folks, like, I'll oh, do a feature doc or a series or something. But because that uh, Johnny Knoxville movie had been a financial disappointment, the way Hollywood works is they go like, oh, I guess people don't like movies about Action Park. You know, like if there's that one thing that doesn't do well, nobody wants to touch it. That's just like kind of how that industry works, I'm, right? I'm sorry, I don't mean. I just, I need no. to go back a second. Because I feel yeah, like something yeah, yeah. was said and we kind of walked over it for a second. Johnny Knoxville's class action point is based off of your viral video? Not officially, but that's 100%. No, I mean, no, between so the, us, the, it's based... Yes. No, no, yeah, yeah. No, no, I didn't the, get paid for it. The timelines are there. Yeah, okay, no, it's no, not no, even the timelines. We're, we're not accusing anyone. No, no, it, it's, it's, not, it's not even me speculating. It's like literally the people who ran Action Park told me they spoke to Giant Oxos producers, and that's what happened. Like, it's, it's, it's very straightforward. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, no, literally, the story that was told to me is like um, his, uh, his either manager or his producer saw it and was like, holy crap, I gotta share it. So Johnny, and like sent it to him and didn't hear anything. He's like, I kept like falling, like Johnny, no, I'm serious. Open this right now, open this right now, open this right now. Uh, Cause he was like, knew Johnny would flip when he saw it. And he was like, he hasn't seen it cause he hasn't gone back to me kind of thing. And then, and then they went ahead and made that movie. Wow. Yeah, hundred percent. Kind of cool, right? Uh, yeah, so, especially yeah. because where you landed with it, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, sorry. And, yeah, no, no, no. And and the movie didn't do well, which made it really hard for me to, like, go get my documentary. Not even, like, you know, that was a scripted comedy, a different kind of movie. But it made it really hard for me to go sell a documentary or get anybody to want to make this documentary. And um, and in April of 2019, I was in Las Vegas getting a drink with my friend Chris Charles Scott, who was my collaborator on this project eventually. And he, he, he made documentaries. Um, and we were just kind of talking and he was like, Seth, why haven't you like done anything with this whole action park thing? And I was telling him, I was like, well, nobody wants to touch it because of this other movie. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, like I've got a crew ready to roll. We just kind of sketched out a napkin. I was like, well, what if we just made this ourselves? Uh, any funding, any budget, anything? What would it take? What would our timeline be? What would all of this be? And we just kind of like worked it out a napkin right there. And then we were filming a month later. Wow. That's, yeah. that's yeah. lightning in a bottle right there because what you guys yeah. produce, wow. And, you know, the whole movie, yeah, so we, we got it, you know, we, we made this for no money. We, um, you know, he, he lives in Las Vegas, and he has some, some uh, a really great, like, very, very small crew, like two people. Like, this film, this, there was four people on set for a whole movie. It was the smallest thing in the world. Um, and they just loaded up a van with their equipment and drove from Las Vegas to New Jersey uh, to film it. And uh, we were rolling. We filmed the whole thing in 10 days, probably. And uh, kind of amazing. And then we, you know, we... Really, though, like what makes the movie work, of course, is the home movies that we have and all the archival footage. And mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that was like an mm-hmm. ongoing treasure hunt. You know, we started filming not knowing what was out there, what we get our hands on. And we were just like blessed that we found all these people who were willing to share their home movies and their memories. And that's what made really made the movie possible. Yeah. So going back to the short that you made, like what inspired you? Like what, what was it about that that you're like, I'm going to do yeah. this short and 
Did you expect it to get traction? In, uh, it, so what happened was I there's this event in the city called Nerd Night. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but I think their slogan is it's like the Discovery Channel with beer. And just imagine like nerds giving uh, lectures, like TED Talks about whatever random thing they happen to be obsessed with or know like way too much about at a bar. And it's like loud and raucous and a lot of fun. And I, I would give these lectures pretty regularly on just like random topics, like on the history of pinball, which is another fascination of mine, like stuff like that, right? And um, and I gave one about Action Park. And really what it was, was me digging into my own memories. You know, I went to Action Park a couple times as a kid and I had these memories. And as I get older, I'm like looking back and I'm like that, that's not real. There's no way that was real. There's no way that yeah, water slide yeah. did that. There's no way yeah, that guy yeah. did that. And I, you know, as a journalist, I'm like, I was looking online and looking at old, old magazines, whatever it was. And there was just like, no, no journalism about action park. It was just these urban legends. There was like, like all that was out there. The action park canon was a thinly sourced Wikipedia page <laughs> and a couple articles from weird New Jersey. Right. And it all kind of had this feel of like this, couple dudes in jersey trading stories at a bar and it's impossible to tell like what's real and i was having this this feeling i was like i, I swear i saw that stuff but like no, there's no i i surely got that from a comic book i surely got that from a simpsons episode right because was when you're a kid it's really you're looking back and you're like what's what's real what's not especially because the whole thing that made action part interesting was this immense sense of chaos and danger and when you go to like a disney world Danger is there. The danger, though, is part of a story. It's fake. It's artificial. You go on like a roller coaster. It's all about the appearance of a thrill and appearance of danger while you're in this safe, actual scenario. And so as a kid, you might go on like a Tower of Terror at Disney World and feel scared or feel like it's you know, in a haunted mansion, like there's actual ghosts yeah. and not really be able to tell what's real and what's fictitious. It's all controlled. Action, it's controlled. It's all controlled. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's really hard to separate that controlled fake danger from the real danger of Action Park when you're a kid, right? And so as I get older, I'm like, wait, that, that wasn't some Imagineer coming up with a story about a haunted mansion. That was like real violence <laughs> and real blood, right? And you start looking into it and there's nothing out there. And I was like, I should just like report this out and like see, see what it is. So I gave this lecture at this uh, event called Nerd Night and a like cell phone video of it kind of popped up online. And uh, some, some, somebody saw the cell phone video and reached out and was like, hey, do you want to turn this into a web short with me? I'm like, yeah, kind of. That sounds great. Um, and we did and so that's that's kind of what happened. Like I didn't think to myself, I'm going to make a documentary about this. Like somebody was like, "Hey, you want to want to work with this?" And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Yeah, yeah and like your that. own curiosity kind of led you there, trying to part and parcel your own memory. Yeah, of, like fact check my own. Yeah, memories, kind of. Yeah, because you know, yeah. yeah, because I, I was going to ask you if, if you actually been there, and I think as you tell this story, like it, it just unlocks yeah. anyone who has been no, there or yeah. had any origin of it it just starts unlocking more and more like oh yeah no you know what he's right and um i can tell you from experience because uh first of all before i forget i don't know how i'm gonna get you to sign these little things oh. you know? that, that's, why, that's, that's why i was hoping for the in person oh, but anytime man come by my we'll, house we'll, we'll work that out so um yeah I, I was able to attend the show that you guys did in, in beacon with a uh, story screen yeah and uh it, it was awesome Thanks, and, and and it started unlocking stuff because because I, I never thought I'd been to action. Park, Everybody's you know? been to action you know? park. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I always felt like uh, it's either action park or Six Flags, and I was a Six Flags kid, yeah. you know. And then um and then when I seen like the certain water slides and then the uh, the Tarzan. <laughs> screen, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was like, hold on! I was, I, was, I was like, I've been there. That water's mad cold. And then the documentary is like how because like I I feel like I hit like I hit head first on it. Yeah. And then uh, and then like the the, the tube that basically. That you when you come out of the tube and you go airborne, yeah. like the tube like scratched my whole back. <laughs> oh yeah. If there's not enough water going through that thing, you're gonna walk yeah. out with, with I, some some I, I remember and, the, and like, that hot pavement. Like that when oh, yeah. you focus yeah. on that, I was like, I remember that. I cut my feet yeah. up summers going there. No, I had people who told me like they were dread it took them like months to actually pull the trigger and watch movie because they were just dreading the flood of PTSD and memories that it would unlock. We shouldn't but, laugh. Um, we shouldn't laugh. No, we yeah. can laugh. We can laugh. We, laugh, we laugh so we don't cry is what we do. And that's that's what it's all about at the end of it. We laugh so we don't cry. Uh, there's a morbid humor that comes. There it is. Um, but you know what you're saying, uh, Ruben, is 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 right on also because like all these people you know, I was talking about like doubting my own memories. What I realized was that that was a really common occurrence for people who went there. They mm -hmm. had these experiences. They would tell their spouses about things that happened in Action Park and their like husbands and wives wouldn't believe them. 
and they like show them this movie and they're like oh now my wife knows i'm not a liar you know <laughs> like you get like stories like that and then you get like people who are uh, sharing with their kids and it's like the best the, the, i think the highest praise is like all these gen xers telling me um oh my kid thinks i'm so cool now because i went to that park you know <laughs> like in a way that they never like oh my dad's not as lame as i thought he was yeah, and 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 like another like family experience like when uh, I was I was talking I think it was 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 it Thanksgiving Brook and mm-hmm. I was I was like yeah nah I went to the class action part and like my uncle like he like lit up yeah you know what I'm saying like like he he's, he's obviously older than than me and my sister and like he like lit up he's like yeah I remember we used to go there you know and uh, we used to push the sleds off of the th- like everything that was in your documentary <laughs> he started saying and I was like he, he's never seen your documentary <laughs> yeah. but he was going off of experience and like your documentary was like relating so and I was like. Oh my God! Like, yeah, I, 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 you definitely have a, a, had a hit probably once once you start telling this story, man. Yeah, and the way these like you know the people who 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 lived it and experienced it tell the story too, like just like a, I'm lighting up talking about it. It is it is a strange, and, and that's what makes it so interesting is that it's not like people talking about the best day of their life. Like people got hurt there, people died yeah. there. It's this very strange. The thing that makes Action Park so interesting is sort of the real-time thought experiment I think it evokes in us. Like we think to ourselves, you know, we did, like I think sort of the story of our modern times even is this struggle between our logical selves who knows we should do certain things and our gut and our feeling and our desire to do shit just because it's cool or whatever, even if it's going to get us killed, right? <laughs> like I'm going to go to a club during COVID, whatever, whatever you want to make as your metaphor here. And I think this kind of brings to life in this really real-time way where you're like, on one hand, oh my God, that place was terrible and tragic and people got hurt there. But on the other hand, you have to acknowledge people are also going to think to themselves, man, that kind of rules. And I like kind of wish I was there. And it's not to like say either, you know, there's any shame in that. It's just, it's just like, it brings to like these sides within yeah. all of us. I, I, I felt, I, I felt I was very torn watching it because mm-hmm. I did believe like there is a magic to that park, right? Like I remember watching those commercials as a kid in Brooklyn. Like, I remember, like, so when you played those ads, like, they just hit a certain way. And I remember as a kid, like, oh, my God, I want to go there. Like, that place must be amazing. Yeah. And even watching the documentary, like, there, there is a childlike magic in, in the idea behind what that place was supposed to represent. I took from it, right? Like, it was supposed to be a place for youth, by youth. You know what I mean? Something that I think here at IMB, <laughs> we do try. Like, we have those yeah. same ideas. I just yeah. think that then, you know, as we get older and we realize like the world's a scary place and like you see all these things, it's just like, well, this was just executed poorly. You know what I mean? And then it's like, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there, it was, here, here at IM Beacon, we don't have any ideas. to put yes, 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 yes. And Brandon, the magic of Action Park, I think, especially as a kid, is, you know, when you're in school doodling in the nar- margins of your notebook, you're just like, you're playing like roller coaster type, you know? <laughs> You know, like, I'm going to do these wacky things, and it kind of only exists within your imagination or within, like, the doodles of a notebook. And then you go to this park, and you see those things there in, like, real life. And it's and it's a real trip because it's, like, that's that thing I imagined as, like, a six-year-old playing kind of fantasy football or roller coaster, like, my, my brain. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I going to – what ideas do I have? It feels like an imagination kind of brought to yeah. life in a way that you don't see, especially not today. And that kind of ties into the illustration style of like throughout the documentary is kind of like just that, that kind of like Willy Wonka-esque dream it, you could dream it, you could be it. Yeah, and I have to say thank you for that (laughs) because it was like, and this is how you like beautifully put it together because it's like as they're telling you what's happening, the visual overlay like not only did it tickle me, but it was like it really illustrated what was happening to these folks as they're coming yeah. down. Yeah, and the and the shack rocking back and forth. <laughs> yes, yes, the love shack there. Um, the yeah, the, the the illustrations were very specifically uh, kind of an homage to Schoolhouse Rock and to um, Saturday morning cartoons in the sense that like it, it, they weren't supposed to be. You know, it's funny, like, you see some people who wrote, like, reviews or whatever, and they're like, oh, the animation's for low quality. It's like, have you ever seen a Saturday morning cartoon in the 80s? Like, they're, they're just, like, it doesn't hold up, you know? And it really was trying to be evocative of that type of feeling. I was thinking to myself, specifically Schoolhouse Rock, I was thinking kind of the early uh, Sesame Street cartoons of the era. The, the image that kept coming through my head was um, Schoolhouse Rock's Conjunction Junction. But like instead of a train, a looping water slide. That was sort of the description I gave to our animator. I was like, 
conjunction junction, but instead of a train, it's a looping water slide. Was what it was. What it was. Yeah. yeah, I I spot on. You did a really good job. Thank on you. That. Yeah. Personally, I was like, I was like laughing so hard, like just at the way it was illustrated. Well, I don't know why it just so like really tickled me. Yeah, and you're actually bringing the so you know the funniest uh, thing, not the, one one of the funniest things about this whole experience has been like all these people who've reached out to me who, you know, you're, you're talking about uh, Ruben, like, you know, people, you know, who saw all these experience, experience a lot of things we depicted, but like the very specific stories, people who were there, like we have the story in our movie of the, of the person who's on a speedboat who almost decapitates oh another person. Well, the person who did that wrote me an email and was like, Oh yeah, that was me. I almost decapitated a person and like ran through the whole story uh, about how, about like what happened and how they were really drunk and didn't, we see the dock and just smashed into the person and then walked away. Um, and they got like a, a slap on the wrist. Um, or we have uh, for like half a second. And you, you, I, t I told this at the Q and a at story screen screening uh, room. So I remember this, but we flashed for like half a second, a newspaper article of this like, three year old girl, three years old, whose finger was chopped off on the Alpine slide. And that girl reached out to me and was like, and sent me a video of her fingerless hand and was like, nobody believes me when I tell them I lost this on a ride. Uh, I've got no proof of it. They, she got paid $2,000 and she like didn't even know there was a newspaper article. And she's like, she was like so excited to see this newspaper article about how she lost her finger. It kind of brought to life in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It just validated yeah. so many people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that I think I appreciate at your Q&A section, uh, I, I don't know if you remember that one couple that were, mm -hmm. was there and like they, they were sharing even more. So I don't know if they were part of, the, if, if you were able to meet them before you did this documentary, but they, they were actually counselors at the time. Yeah, they, they were employees there. Yeah. So, they, so, yeah. They were employees they, there and they're, they're kind of, uh, yeah, they, it was amazing because they were just like, yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And I could say too, you know, from my experience, like, cause I remember when we first started talking about it, when I was talking about it with Ruben, I was like, we went there and, you know, from someone who walked away with a traumatic experience there, you know, like the Tarzan, mm -hmm. I remember being like, I almost died that day. Like, I just remember not, I could swim at the time, but the water was so cold. I remember when I hit the water, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna make it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna make it. And, so and I can too. imagine cold people, and yeah. yeah. So to see this documentary, like it is therapeutic in that regard, because it's not like, no, it wasn't in my head. Like it was date, like I was in real danger and that really happened to me. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting to say because one of the the myths about Action Park, you know, it, it's the thing that's amazing about the park itself. I think the movie, but really the park, is that you know, depending on what view worldview you come to it with, you see something different. You know, some people say, uh, "Hell yeah, this is like what the whole world should be like," and then others are like, "This is why we need to kind of have some regulation and common sense and all these things." And you kind of bring your own, I think, viewpoint and bias to the table with that. And I've got my own thoughts on it, but I like that it's kind of a blank slate and people can extrapolate a little bit from there. Um, but it's, you're, I just lost my own train of thought there. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's right. No, I'm curious though, like, because, it, you know, watching this then dreams up all these extra yeah. stories, I can only imagine how many people reach out to you now. So, you know, what two-parter question I have is one is going into the film, was there something that you're like, I wish I could tell this one story, but I'm going to leave it for now. Well, you know, we, at the end of the day, you know, we could have made this a 10 hour thing only, of yeah. just people telling stories, but that's not a movie, right? Like it has to have an arc to it and make sense on an emotional level. And, and to us really, and I think the, I hope what we succeeded at was trying to unearth from this crazy chaotic place, what the greater emotional truth is. Like, what is this actually about? Is this about America? Is this about growing up in the eighties? Is this about the way we kind of look back at our childhood with a fuzzy nostalgia as a way of kind of coping with the innate horrors and traumas of what we experienced. And I think it's all of these things. And I think the reason Action Park is so interesting is because I think it, it, it does bring to life the very strange relationship a lot of people, but especially people who grew up in the 80s and 90s have with their childhoods where they experience some really messed up stuff but it's something like they themselves wouldn't trade for the world, whether it was going to Action Park or doing any number of ill-advised 
things we all did before cell phones, right? Breaking into abandoned mental hospitals, swimming in quarries, uh, building stupid BMX ramps, sledding on hills that probably should have killed us. Like all of these things we sort of all did. I think people see their own experiences in it, even if they're not from the New York area and didn't, didn't go to Action Park. And it is, I think, this gateway towards understanding this generational experience. And, you know, one of the big questions we kind of set out to answer with the film was why is it that yesteryear's latchkey kids are today's helicopter parents? And what it, what and and kind of I think what it what it comes down to is that people who grew up back then uh, saw some shit. Yeah, is what it is. <laughs> and and it's again these experiences that they're grateful for and they wouldn't trade for the world. But at the same time, they're going to do anything they can to keep their own kids from going through it as well. I, I think that's spot mm, no, on. I agree. I think that's yeah. spot on. Yeah. And as you were describing that, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I think I have your next project. It's called Beacon. (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like when we talk about, you know, our upbringing here, the 80s and 90s in Beacon, what it was, and you get that same thing where it's like, oh, yeah, most of it was boarded up. And it's like, but is that a good thing? I don't know. We had a lot of fun. There's a lot of, you know, and so it, it kind of like sparks that flame of dialogue around what is, what does good mean? Yeah. You know? And, and yeah, and I think like anybody who has some level of self-confidence and self-love for who they are understands that the trials and tribulations and challenges they experienced growing up were a key part of turning them who they are into who in turn into are. And to some degree is grateful for them, but at the same time they look back with a sense of horror and and at the same time want to shield their own kids from that same thing. And it is this very mixed, weird kind of push-pull relationship I think a lot of us have with our own childhoods, again, especially that generation. And I think that's why the story of Action Park is so so powerful because it brings that to life in a way that I think people begin to understand. And it's a very accessible way of telling that story. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, you're asking about stories that didn't make the cut, right? You want to hear some cool stories that, that weren't? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the fun thing about this movie has been like the – voluminous number of emails I've gotten from people who saw it and were like, let me tell you about my crazy story, you know? And a lot of it is sort of building on the stories that were referenced in the film. Like I talked about the finger there. Like uh, we referenced in the film very, very briefly um, from one of the security guards, this idea that the owner of the park kept this uh, illegal machine gun in his desk. Well, the full story, which sort of came to light to me after the film, and somebody was like, let me tell you the full story here, is um, – so So the full story, first of all, from that guard in our film is that he had heard that the owner had this machine gun, broke into his office to see if he could find it with this idea that he and his buddy would steal it and shoot up some cans or something, have a good time, and uh, they would never report it missing because it was an illegal gun in the first place, right? Well – the gun was not there when he showed up. And then somebody else told me later why the gun was not there. And the reason the gun was not there was just because a couple weeks prior to that, this other uh, employee had the exact same idea, had broken into Gene's office, found the gun, shot up a bunch of cans and trees, and his buddy stole the gun. And that's why the gun was not there. Um, This guy was... a character, a character, uh, and he was definitely a family man. If we, if you catch my drift, yeah. so yeah, yeah. And I, go ahead, Brianna. Oh, sorry, I was saying too. I what I found interesting is kind of like Gene's origin, mm-hmm. and um, you know, like how he kind of started out like in that era of like the penny stocks and and just that just just deception like from the jump. Um, and I actually you know, a few jobs ago worked for someone that used to work at Jordan Belfort's firm, like was disgraced, like all the SEC problems. And, and like, he ended up building this whole business, like empire and like defrauding, like, like people of like millions of dollars. And I was just like, I was like, wow, I see a trend with like people that come out of that. Like it's like in their blood, like that. Yeah. Just like these ill gotten gains. And then just like still like going and just, and, he this this guy was kind of the same thing like with his warehouse and it was like he had rollers product rollers going through inventory shelves and it was just like he was like his own willy wonka and i think just like that that just like they just abandon like all reality and they're just they really think that they're like the creator of like well, their own kind of like yeah, yeah Brandon, you're, you're, you know i think what you're talking about here which is i think very interesting from a 2022 perspective looking back at the story is that the reason gene was able to get away with this stuff is because he realized that whatever safeguards or guardrails exist are slow 
and rather ineffective. And then if you just ignore them, you can kind of get away with a lot. Yeah. And I think we're sort of seeing that on a very macro scale right now, this realization that the, um, the, the guardrails that keep us from total anarchy are surprisingly thin. Uh, and that if somebody kind of comes in with uh, bad intentions and bad faith, it's easy to manipulate or ignore them. You know, Gene would do things like, you know, other than the fake insurance company. Yeah, I was just about to yeah. say that. Like, 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 there's two things in, in, in your documentary that when 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 you highlight when you introduced it, I was like, how was that possible? Like, the, 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 the two things were when 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 Donald Trump said it was too crazy <laughs> uh-huh. for him. And when this guy created his own insurance, mm-hmm. that was no insurance. Those two things, like, yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? Well, but I feel like it goes back to the origin, right? Like, the selling of penny stocks. Like, you came in kind of manufacturing a loophole within this new kind of, you know, era of, of capitalism, essentially. And and you're, you're manufacturing your own, like, to kind of, like, live in this, like, gray area of morality and like and it's i feel not like that, that, it's not that gray legality but still like you know they they again like you're saying they're kind of just like what can i get away with um yeah. and mm-hmm. i feel like that's the, that theme just draws back and to that like became the game to him yeah. it became like breaking the rules became kind of half the half the fun to him it was you know i think he kind of enjoyed it i think if people told him no it made him want to do things more and i think that's there's something about us as people that that's maybe not true in that level but it's certainly true with a lot of people and i think same with the park itself the reason people went to the park was because it was dangerous people knew it was dangerous gene realized very quickly that the more newspaper and tv uh, news pieces that came out saying that there were injuries and even deaths at the park the more people showed up at the park and that created this um, self-fulfilling prophecy where people who went to the park were going there ex- because it was dangerous, wanting to experience the danger, thinking that if they didn't have a dangerous near-death experience, they weren't getting their money's worth, and kind of uh, putting themselves in the line of fire to have that experience. It became, and, and it was all kind of going on within that weird adolescent logic where you think, I can't actually get hurt, can I? Right? Um, yeah. and, and that logic is kind of compounded when you're at an amusement park because. When people go to amusement parks, they just sort of assume things are safe, right? They they wouldn't they wouldn't let me go on this ride if it wasn't safe. You kind of think to yourself, right? Yeah, and and, and, yeah. and back to Brandon's point, I'm saying like the marketing of it. I'm saying like mm-hmm. the, the, that that that's not what was promoted on the commercials. The commercial was was fun, water slide, family, um, great place to bring your whole family. Yeah, yeah I, well, I remember uh, they were like the first ones to introduce bungee jumping. Like that that was that was the thing to do. You want to know the story about that bungee tower? It's a wild one. Did I tell yeah, you? About- I, yeah, I, I do want to know about it because because uh, because that that's what I knew uh, Action Park for too. Like they they like introduced the bungee jumping at least to me as far as yeah, like, what, what their ads were. and stuff. Well, and, and Gene, the owner of the park, was a he was one of, again one of those people who sees into the future. He was early into a lot of technologies. He had a lot of business concerns outside of the amusement park. He was sort of a pioneer in a lot of things he did. He was a complex person. It's not fair to call him a purely bad person. He was a human who I think um, was an exaggerated version of a lot of our own ids is I think what makes Mm -hmm. him interesting. But the the bungee tower in particular is wild story. So it was, first of all, it was um, sponsored by Snapple, uh, which makes sense. The Snapple whippersnapper, I think they call it something like that. Um, And the story was, so Gene had a, a, a business partner, uh, who he was kind of working on some other concerns with who had built a bungee tower on the Jersey shore I don't know exactly what town, let's just call it Wildwood for the sake of conversation, right? One of those towns on the Jersey Shore. And Gene and this guy were kind of on the outs. And so in the middle of the night, Gene organized a crew to show up with a truck and without anybody knowing, completely dismantled and transported the entire bungee tower away from the Jersey Shore in the dead of night without anybody realizing and drove it to Action Park. And so the bungee tower at Action Park was the result of a Carmen Sandiego style heist <laughs> in the middle of the night, probably with some teenage employees who were just doing their job, doing what they wanted to do. I need to go pick up this bungee tower? Yeah, you can't make that up, oh, right? Man. He just stole a bungee tower in the middle of the night. I was like, what's that guy going to So, okay, and, and Gene would do all this stuff. He's like, what are you going to do about it? Like, try He's me, like, right? I'm going to put it in my next commercial, then what? Yeah. Everyone's going to well, know it's mine. So, so, uh, Action Park was commissioned. So in uh, 93 or 94, one of those years, MTV was starting to do these spring break mm-hmm. beach houses or summer, or maybe the summer. They had the, the MTV spring beach break. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
MTV Beach House. They had dancers around the pool, Radiohead's playing, a big party, right? Um, and they wanted, they had this idea, they had a house in the Hamptons, and their idea was they wanted to build a water slide that went from the roof of the house into the pool, because that would look cool on TV. Who's going to build that thing for you? They decided, we're going to call Action Park up. Action Park's going to build this thing for me. So they literally call Action Park up. Action Park, I'll show you guys photos of this, builds this water slide that went from the roof of the house into the pool. Uh, and if you watch, if look up like on YouTube, uh, MTV Beach House, Lisa Loeb, look up the Lisa Loeb uh, performance and you just see this big Action Park logo behind her the entire time from this. Um, and so apparently, likewise, with this situation, they had like a local dude in, uh, in Long Island supply all the lumber. And Gene just refused to pay him. He's like, why would I pay that guy? He's a, he would say, he's in Long Island. I'm in New Jersey. What's he going to do about it? You know, and just <laughs> stiff the guy. Just and, and you see this a lot now. People just, I'm not going to pay their bills. What are you going to do about it? There's other people who I won't name who kind of have that same mentality, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm literally, this is like mirroring like this. The, Too much. The other already, yeah. 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 But And also just like how almost like predatory like of to make your target uh visitor base and your employee base a bunch of people whose brains aren't even fully developed like, oh, no. and don't have the logic and reasoning and and that's that's the peak age in which you push the boundaries of your life you push your your driving reckless you're like that's just like the age in which you really like test it and like that was his army essentially yeah and and you know the people who grew up working there like to them it was probably the best time of your life yes you know, the, 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 the neatest thing that's come from and i tell you it truly breaks your brain to have a movie that you just like make with your friend that people watch it's it's not a real experience it's it's a i'm in the matrix right now it's all real it's all fake but the, the, the most fake matrixy moment of all was that the simpsons did a class action park episode yeah and Ruben saw we sh we sc we showed that uh, section of the episode at the at the story screen screening, and that broke my brain more than anything because uh, I was like, that's that's messed up. But uh, they they got they did a good job because it was like you know of course Homer would be the guy who looks back and is like, oh man, this this place is too safe now. You kids don't even know, right? But it was, <laughs> yeah. Broke my brain. Broke my brain. I, no, I just looked awesome. at the video of uh, the Lisa Lowe performance and. I'm gonna be honest with you. That you're not gonna show everybody. Well, I'm on my phone. Cool. Sorry. I, yeah. I, I I would want something like that coming out of my house, going into a pool. You see it's the like you that. see the Action Park logo in the yeah. background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's like the old Project the Project X movie or whatever. Yeah. Right? You have a big house party. Yeah, I, you don't even need a wire slide. Just like go full, almost famous. Just jump off that roof. You know, I'm a golden god, baby. Right. <laughs> I was like holding my breath for you to say that somebody went down it and didn't make it or something. I, I was like, here we go again. Like, everybody knew. It was a different time. Oh, here's another cool story for you guys. Uh, so uh, what was it? Let's say 84, 85, 86, 86, I think. The New York Giants just won the uh, Super Bowl. And what do they do to celebrate? They all go to Action Park, right? So, um, and not only do they go to Action Park, they go they go native. They go full Action Park. We're getting drunk. We're starting fights. We're we're going crazy. And so, imagine you're like a couple sixteen year old high school juniors who are security guards, having to tell 30, 40, <laughs> 300 pound New York drunken giants not to fight at the top of the cliff and the giants are literally just like throwing these dudes off the cliff picking them up whatever they eventually have to eject the new york giants from uh action park and it takes a lot to get ejected from action park <laughs> yes um and then, oh here's a good one too uh so next to the i ruben i might have told the story to q a but um next to the park so you have a, uh, a parking lot and next to the parking lot you could like, kind of walk through a gate and go to this mom and pop restaurant well the mom and pop restaurant was closing down McDonald's wanted to take over that plot of land and build a, a McDonald's restaurant. Gene did not want McDonald's there because he thought it would eat into all their concession sales, right? And so he sends uh, one of his top employees, it's kind of like a tack dog lieutenant, to a town council or, or planning board meeting to uh, testify about why McDonald's should not be allowed to open. And what he said in his own words to me, the gentleman who did this, was he was asked to testify to the town the following. He said, here's what's going to happen if you let McDonald's open. That gate... That lets people walk from our parking lot to the restaurant. We're going to close that gate. Instead, they're going to, of course, you guys got to know a major highway runs through the mm -hmm. middle of the park, uh, Route 94. They're going to have to walk on the shoulder of 94 to get to McDonald's in icy conditions because it was a ski resort much of the year. In ski boots, they will slip, they will fall, they will die. 
and the blood will be on your hands if you allow McDonald's to open. The town of Vernon did not allow McDonald's to open. Wow. <laughs> so, that is how you exercise power. Ignore all the injuries here. Yeah, and all the yeah. ambulance rides <laughs> come fact, I got to get my own ambulance to yeah. come here. Oh, t- I think two ambulances, actually. But yeah. A quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for good foods and great drinks? Well, stop down at the Hudson Valley Food Hall and Market, 288 Main Street Beacon. The food hall showcases a variety of cuisines and local chefs from the Hudson Valley. In addition to their food, in the back you will find the Roosevelt Bar. To learn more, visit their website, HudsonValleyFoodHall.com. Now back to the show. Another question I have for you is just because of where we are in this day and age where information is so ubiquitous, Mm -hmm. you know, and now that you told us what your background is, as a journalist, it kind of... I can see that you had the skills, the unique skills, cracks knuckles to get at this. Very Liam Neeson of me, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I have a sense of but how did you go about? Yeah, but how did you go about getting, like, extracting information, footage? You know, because a lot of this is anecdotal, and mm-hmm. you know, you see an article here or there, but to pull it all together. It's a treasure hunt, and that's the hardest, but also the most rewarding part about making any documentary that occurs in the past is finding the people who have these stories, finding the footage, find the home movies. And this story, as far as things go, you know, there's some uh, projects I might be working on where it's like, okay, there's three people who live this. And if they're not in it, you don't have a, a movie. You don't have a story. Millions of people went to Action Park and thousands or hundreds at least worked at Action Park. There's And everybody who went there had their share of stories. Um, but really it all kind of began with the documentary short I made. After that came out, after that web video came out, people started reaching out to me. And it was those outreaches, those, those, uh, here's my story, emails and phone calls that made me realize there was much more to it. And there was a feature or something longer in it. And I started just kind of collecting those people and, uh, people sent me to other people because all their high school friends worked with them at the park. Um, you know, you find, and then the ho- you kind of ask everybody, Hey, do you happen to have any home movies? 99% of people don't, but that 1% who does has got something good oftentimes, right? And it becomes this like needle in the haystack treasure dive. You know, and then sometimes you'll find somebody who uploaded a couple seconds of their home movies online. It's real grainy and low quality. You got to find that person and be like, hey, do you have any more? And they're like, well, here's six hours. I've got. Like that kind of stuff would happen. Um, and wow. then there's all these TV ads. You have the, um, the Allison Chains on Headbangers Ball clip, of course, which is a great episode of Headbangers Ball if anybody wants to look back at that. And, um, and you just kind of piece it together. But, you know, that's the fun. That's what's so fun about making documentaries is that treasure hunt element to it. Like the audio tapes we have at Gene, those were sitting in one of our uh, interview subjects attic for 30 years on micro cassette, undigitized. And she was like, I, don't, I just know I have these. I don't know where they are. And I was like, every day, just how near? Can you please look through your attic today? Can you please look through your attic today? Can you please look through your attic today? Until she finally did and she found them, you know? And that's, that's, that's what makes this game so fun. Yeah, no, that's great. And so, you know, now I'm curious because you definitely have the journalist background. Obviously, you're making this documentary. You know, what's next for you? What are what fires you up? Is it the documentaries or just filmmaking in general are you falling in love with or Yeah, you know, I'm working on a number of of of, of I'm working on a number of documentaries as it happens right now. I got to be a little a little vague about things until uh, mm-hmm. they're announced. So excuse me if I'm a little obtuse here. Uh, but what I'll say about my next project is it's uh, coming out later this year um, to a major streaming service that you many of you likely subscribe to. And if Action Park was my 80s movie, you know, my uh, documentary version of Goonies, right? Or Breakfast Club. Uh, this is my 90s action movie. So think Point Break, think like Heat think uh, movies of that ilk uh, is what this is. And I'm very excited. It's also, I think, very thematically, I kind of view it as a spiritual sequel to Class Action Park, thematically speaking, in terms of, I view them both as stories about, if I'm just gonna say one sentence here, uh, the promise and the peril of a life of total freedom. And I think that's something that is on many of our minds right now, kind of trying to understand the guardrails of freedom and what that word actually means. And, uh, and and trying to kind of come to terms with the way that word is used and what it what it truly means. Mm, yeah, and I can see how I mean just where we are today in the world, just having that nice little snapshot back mm-hmm. to think through, you know, what is good, what is bad, what, yeah. you know, you know what is right, what is wrong, right? Um, and the way if it's anything like Class Action Park, like I love the fact that you give both and. 
it's not an either or. No. It's, well, it's, know. yeah. And, you know, I'm a Socratic filmmaker, if you will. Like, I don't want to tell people what to think. I want to give them the pieces to come to their own conclusions. And I have my own viewpoints about Action Park, about the world, about the similarities between Action Park and the world. Uh, and, um, you know, but I think it's up to people to kind of take all these pieces. And I think conclusions people make are much more powerful when they're pieced together within their own heads at all times. Yeah, I, I, I think you did a great job with the, with, with highlighting both aspects of yeah. it. How, how was it working with the family mm -hmm. that lost the loved one through uh, the what went on at Action Park and and even the story of how it like played out? You know, what I'm saying that that's kind of what bothered me about it. And I'm saying mm -hmm. I know we talk about like our experiences and and there was some laughter about um, just how do we survive that type of stuff. But there is a human component of. of to it and uh, you definitely highlight it um, I appreciate that family still willing to share that story it's something that I felt that was heartfelt and it definitely made me get into like the humanity mode and then but because obviously I didn't know about it and then and then even the story behind it of of, of the lies you know that, that that's what frustrated me the most because at the end of the day wh whatever anyone does I'm, I'm just a man that you should always step up and man up to if, if you do something wrong man up to your responsibilities and and obviously that did not happen through even that story so how was it about including that and even working with them yeah yeah um you know it was amazing and and the movie wouldn't have been a movie without it this is truth it's uh the Larson family who lost lost a son at Action Park, uh, it's truly tragic. And it's truly tragic how the death was covered up. And it was a cover-up. Um, the reaching out to them was astonishing. Like, literally, we found them. We shot an email. You know, we, we kind of found some information. It's like, oh, it looks like they moved to Florida. I think they're in the roofing business. We found this family roofing business. It was like, is that them? Maybe that's them. We literally shot an email to, like, the info at email address at this roofing business. And 15 minutes later, my co-director, Chris, gets a call on a cell phone, and it's Brian Larson, the brother, um, I, I, highly emotional, uh, saying basically they've been waiting 30 years for somebody to actually give a damn and reach out. And it's astonishing because their story of George Larson's death has been mentioned in numerous articles and media about Action Park, but always kind of uh, you know, brushed off. Right. Uh, with this, idea, you know, never given a real human face. And I think that's because a lot of people really wanted Action Park to solely be this object of humor and of fun. And nobody really wanted to acknowledge the toll. And I think that's a kind of a human instinct for us is when we like things, we don't kind of want to know what's wrong with them at the same time. And uh, and I thought and we, you know, Chris and I, we thought it was very important to to hear their story and to talk to them. And it was important and it really calcified a lot of the thoughts we were having. And the movie Class Action Park, in essence, like it does go through this rather stark tonal shift where the beginning of the movie is very light and fun and funny. And then it gets much, much darker, much sadder. And in many ways, that was designed to mirror my own experience which was I came into this topic kind of only seeing the fun and funny of it and absurd of it. And then I, and then shit got real, right? Then I met people mm -hmm. who were personally hurt by it, personally victimized by it. And I began to kind of question my own feelings and my own thoughts about it in a really deep way. And that shift was so sudden and so uh, weird and it made me think so much. And I wanted the movie to kind of put viewers through that same experience where they were laughing and then questioning why they were laughing. And I was like, if you're going to laugh at this, laugh at it. You have the right to laugh at it. It is funny. It is objectively funny. Everything about it is absurd. It's funny. But you got to know what you're laughing at. And you got mm -hmm. to own up to what you're laughing at. And you got to deal with the mental conflict and tug of war that comes with laughing about this. So that was what we did. And it was great working with them. Um, they liked the movie a lot, which I'm grateful for. I don't care what anybody really thought about it except for them. Truly speaking, I, I didn't want to hurt them just because they've been through, through so much trauma already. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's what signifies for me the importance of films like this, mm -hmm. because it, you know, because of the light and fun piece of it, right, it pulls people in to, you know, we love the discussion here, right, it pulls people in to join that conversation and, and really start to like formulate their own opinion. But then you have to talk about it because it's like, did you see it? Did you see it? What do you think? What do you think? So I think, you know, um, not every documentary does that. You know, sometimes you just watch a documentary for your own learning and you move on. This is one that you don't keep to yourself. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I, I, I want to make a movie of people, you know, this thing wasn't, you know, came out in uh, 
late August 2020 in the dark days of COVID, you know, when I sh we showed a story screen a couple of weeks ago, it was the first time I'd seen it in a theater with a crowd. It was an awesome experience for me because I really was, you know, I want to make a movie that people talk about while they're in line for the bathroom or something, mm -hmm. right, afterwards. And uh, and it was, you know, I guess a lot of that kind of happened on Twitter uh, because yeah. people are stuck at home. Uh, but it was really cool to make a movie that I think kind of sat with people. And, you know, Brandon, you mentioned seeing it more than once, and I've heard that from a number of people. And um, and that's, you know, I was very, really I was very happy when, yeah. when, when I started seeing previews on HBO Max, like, yeah. because it was, I'd heard about the movie and it was only kind of like, you know, uh, you had to find it or you had, you know, so I was just kind of like, I'm going to get to it. I'm gonna get to it. And then I saw HBO had it. And I was like, oh, this movie must have like really picked up steam because now it's here. And then I watched me, yeah. me and that we, we had fam time on our group text with some of my boys and we all put it on and we were just like, it just all came back and it was like this is the greatest thing i've watched especially when it came out during the pandemic it was like right it the was dark perfect. days yes, the dark yes, ages yes, right yes. august 2020 a water park movie nobody's going to a water park then so like at least have that little vicarious <laughs> yeah. like i'm doing this, yeah. this fun in the sun kind of thing i mean it, i kind of hit at the right time um and man like it was what it again like it broke my brain to kind of have that uh response uh, you know, and, and to actually make something. It was also just so abstract because I was kind of stuck at home and like it existed on Twitter and Facebook to me, yeah. the fact that people were actually watching it. And it's, you know, it's weird. Like just a couple of weeks ago, they started airing it on TNT as well. So a whole new crowd of people starting to see it. Uh, they aired um, it after wrestling the other day. Yeah, so 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 once you start to talk about wrestling, you're talking in uh, Brandon's world. Yeah. But that's what I was going to ask you if, if it's on any other network or any other streams, because I did see that uh, promo and I was like, oh my God. This, yeah. yeah, that's what when, when you when you had, when you had sent the, the text to us and you were like the director of like class action. I was just like, wait a minute, hold on. We can't be talking about the same thing here. And then you like broke yeah. it down. Was I, was just, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like I had just watched like no lie. I'm not like blowing smoke up your ass. Like I literally yeah. just watched it the week before. So when I got that, I was just like, this is like heaven sent right now. Cause what are the chances? And then to find that you yeah. were here in Beacon, Beacon, I was like, damn. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably like a half mile from all you guys right now, right? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, no, the truth, truthfully, that means a lot to me. Thank, thank you guys. And it, it has been such a weird and abstract experience, especially for like a first film. You know, like, I don't know what happens. Um, and that you know, doesn't you normally know, happen with, with your first film. It, no, it doesn't <laughs> even happen with your tenth film. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not. Let's I'm just not, yeah, let's, I'm, let's I'm call it out. This. Like. <laughs> Like this is an industry. It's known for being supportive yeah. and like everybody like go have success. It's been awesome. It's been really awesome, and it really means a it like means a lot to me. And it, it was such a personal project for me. It was in many ways like you know a, like a, a journey into my own memories and my own childhood. Uh, and 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 it seems like I shared a lot with a lot of people's childhood and memories too. And that's what's been so so wonderful is kind of finding those those weird common threads that so many people seem to have shared and not talked about yeah you know yeah that, that was the feeling i got watching it like you know as i was watching you know watching it, it was just like uh, you know I, like i said i remember the commercials and and it was always just kind of like i remember it as a kid but then hearing all these other people talk about having these experiences it was just like you know i i guess i always i'm always having these like moments where i'm realized like i'm, I'm not the only one who experiences these things right so as I'm watching, like talking to other people, and then even in our group chat, when we started talking about it and you, Brooke and Ruben started saying, oh, we were there. I was just like, oh my God, like, this is like, this is awesome. And this is, I guess, that thing about nostalgia that we sometimes get stuck on because you don't realize all the time how many other people had that same yeah. feeling or experience, you know, so... Um, oh yeah, and it's just 50 minutes south of here, you know, and it's still open under a name Mountain Creek. Yeah. It's got some of the old rides, you know. Yeah. It's funny you're saying that, Brandon, about like, you know, after it came out, you hear I hear all these stories from from people, and then like some celebrities like tweeting, like Judd Apatow uh, tweeted that the uh, the scene in the movie The Forty Year Old Virgin where Steve Carell gets his chest waxed, <laughs> the screams from that were influenced by the screams he heard coming from the shed by the Alpine slide and people got sprayed with the shady orange stuff, wow. right? And it was like the <laughs> death crazy. curdling, I am no longer, I want to die screams were the, he was like not screaming loud enough until he heard what he heard in his brain from being a child at Action Park, um, which is crazy. Like he tweeted that. Um, I, uh, I met Cory Booker randomly and he tweets about action park on occasion and i mentioned action park to him and he just started lifting up his pant leg and showing me his scars <laughs> and I go like check it out the alpine slide right here um yeah so look up cory booker's <laughs> tweets about action park he, he has some fun stuff to say about it too oh, man. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Well, this has been so much fun. I'm like, I want to like extract all the yeah. stories yeah, because it's, it's like everyone has like an exciting one. Um, but before we let you go, Brandon has a question that we ask all of our guests. Yes. So. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. I'm not going to lie, that kind of scared me. I jumped a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that was right on time, yeah. though. Uh, so, Seth, um, we here at I Am Beacon, we like to refer to ourselves as the Avengers of uh, the city, a group of special individuals who come together um, with the purpose of, of uh, improving their community. So my question to you is, sir, um, what would your superpower be? <laughs> um all right, very simple. You know that game at uh, at bars like Photo Hunt, where it's like a touchscreen game. Mm-hmm. And you got two photos, typically of naked girls, and they're almost the same, but you got to tap the differences, right? Yep. Best in the world at that. Okay. Best in the world. <laughs> Best in the world. I was no like noticing the difference. Um, I'm, I'm I'm actually not kidding. Uh, I was I was on a uh, TV show on Fox called Superhuman, where I used that ability to spot art forgeries. How many shows have uh, you been on? I was just looking at lot. damn. <laughs> lot, yeah, um, but you find it on YouTube. They're like t- Seth Superhuman Fox, where I'm literally got like two Van Goghs and I'm spying the differences on them. Oh, so that's a it's real uh, power. Like that's not yeah, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just you know I'm really good at like Scholastic for kids and photo hunt though. So it's <laughs> highlights for kids. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh! Well, I, 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 I'm I'm just thankful that that we were able to finally connect and yes. uh, have have this episode. Um, I think it was kind of unorthodox on how, how we even met. When yeah, uh, when, that was when, great. When, I heard uh, I was listening to the episode that you guys did a couple weeks ago where you shout out that uh, that run in. I was that was fun. I was like, that's me. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that was pretty awesome. And, and I think that's the uniqueness of Beacon. You know, yeah. like you never know who you're going to run into and, and what type of relationship that's going to foster. You know, and and I would have to say that listening to you and hearing more about like how the the class action part from the start and came to fruition and then actually being able to see it at the opening that you did in Beacon. Um, see, now, if Johnny Knoxville would have played nice, he would have had a better movie because if the documentary would have came out first, yeah. people would have supported the movie because people generally like true stories. Yeah. And, and, and he could have definitely partnered with you on like, no, this is a, this is based on a true story. <laughs> but, you know, when someone tries to undercut, you know, they get what they get. Uh, you said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been great to get to know you. And, you know, I'm personally like, all right, when's the next one coming out? Because I can't wait I'll to see I'll let you guys know. You know what? Here's the thing. Yeah. I'm going to, at some point when we we got cuts of this movie, it'll get it ready. I'll invite you guys all over and I'll show you guys, uh, I'll show you guys the movie. Uh, like, like, like a premiere? Like <laughs> a peek under the tent. A peek under the tent. You know, I was thinking about doing was like a uh, renting story screen and having like a friends and family kind of thing, uh, you know, or, or just coming over to my house. We'll play it, you know, so a good time. Fun, fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to that for sure. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, I think for folks who are listening, if you haven't seen it by now, I mean. Go see it. You really go should. Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> go watch it. Yeah, it's go right on it. TNT, like you said. Uh, you Don't watch it on HBO Max because TNT cuts all the bad words. And they probably got commercials. <laughs> yeah, they got commercials. No, but it's weird. Like, they, you know, they, they kept the SH bombs and the P bombs, but they dropped the F bombs. They don't just drop the F bombs, they drop the whole line. And that's like some of the oh, best. Oh, yeah. Right? You know? Yeah, don't so, mess with something. That's so watch, good. On, watch on HBO Max, you get the. And you're unfiltered. like, what did they say? Where yeah. are they going? Well, the, the, yeah. the, thing, the only part that really, I mean, honestly, like, like the ads, sure, they might take you out of it. But the one thing that uh, I was like, oh man, I can't believe they cut that, was uh, the animation showing all the ride designers doing lines of coke. They cut that. And that, that was like my favorite part in the movie. So that, that I, I, you know, you got to get that in its pure state. Yeah, uncut. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so make sure you see it all. And I and I said I don't know if uh so I want to thank you for your time tonight, but I don't know, did you uh shout out any handles or anything that they that, that you would want listeners to either follow you yeah, at? Sure, or... they don't have to, but you know, at Seth Porges on all the stuff, you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. You want people want to say hey. When they need somebody to spot the difference. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you never know when like aliens are gonna invade and they'll be like, Well, if only the earthlings can spot the difference, we'll go away. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> I'm, I'm your man. <laughs> Okay. I was just gonna say, you also said that you like uh, bar trivia and stuff. Are oh. you good at it though, or you just like it? I, 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 I like trivia, 
but I'm not good at it. <laughs> I, I, I think about it. If you want to, I'm always struggling to find anybody who'll do it with me. So I'm always like rolling solo and trying to hold my own as like a one man team. So I'll do it with you guys anytime you guys want to do it. We'll do it. Uh, yeah. Ruben, Ruben's going to need you because he's got the yeah. confidence. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I just sign up and then I'm like, man. All right. Well, the best part, you got to get a good name first. You get a good bar trivia name, you're set. You're set. He's yeah. like, where's the mouse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. No. <laughs> So. Yeah, no, this, this, this has been awesome. We might we, we might need to have you again. Let's do that. All right, yes. guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Have a good night. You. But hey, before you go, we have a quick ask of you, our audience. If you've been enjoying this podcast, here are some ways you can support us. You can subscribe, rate, and review this podcast right now. You can share or tell a friend about this podcast, which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And here are some ways to support us. If you would like to sponsor an episode, reach out to imbeacon.info at gmail.com. And if you just want to support our efforts in the community, visit our website, www.imbeacon.org to submit a donation or send us a check at P.O. Box 265, Beacon, New York, 12508. You have been listening to This is Beacon, a dynamic duo hi-fi production in association with I Am Beacon, a nonprofit organization.